number 16 tonight, and uh, we'll be looking at a pretty healthy amount of verses tonight. It's uh, really difficult to, at least it's been difficult for me, uh, to figure out where to start, where to end with this uh, text tonight, and uh, kind of fought it a little bit. Numbers chapter number sixteen this evening. We begin in verse number one. We're seeing a message tonight. You take too much upon yourselves. Taking too much upon yourselves. Really, after studying it, worrying about things that you ought not worry about, thinking about things that you ought not even think about, caring for things that ought not be your cares uh, because they're other people's cares. Really, the message in number 16 is a message on covetousness. It's an insatiable desire for power and money, a, a fame and popularity. And the message for us tonight is that we must learn to not be covetous for different positions in life. We must learn to not be covetous for different positions in life. We need to be people of God that are more concerned about how I can serve God where I am right now than being concerned and worrying and covetous over how I could do somebody else's job better. Uh, if I could say it like this, we don't need to be Monday morning quarterbacks. Uh, we need to be careful. The true attitude of the believer is somebody that is uh, thankful for the position they have at this moment in life, and they do the best they can in that position. But covetousness always steals away our use usefulness to God and turns us into a slave to envy. And that's exactly what happens in our story tonight between three men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and the 250 princes of Israel. We have in our story, in our account tonight, probably one of the most memorable accounts in the Old Testament. You have the Red Sea experience, of course, but this is a memorable account. I mean, when you were in Sunday school as a kid, and uh, maybe you learned about this, or maybe you didn't, or if you heard about it for the first time, or if you picked up your Bible and you never heard about it before, and you read number 16, you, you, don't, you don't forget whenever God opens up the earth and swallows people, Right? That's kind of memorable. And then God sends fire down from heaven and strikes people dead. I think there's even in the Abeka flashcards, the, the, the earth opening up uh, for the kids and, that, and the people are falling down, screaming into the earth. I mean, it's, a, it's pretty, it's kind of frightening to think about. I mean, that the earth swallowed them up. And not only did the earth swallow them up, not only did the earth open up, but the earth opened up around them, let them fall down, and then closed up around them. 
and so, I mean, they were literally buried in the earth. It was a, a frightening experience. Some commentators say that they went straight to hell uh, in that moment. Uh, whether that be the case or not, I don't know. But I know this, that the earth opened, swallowed them up, and closed around them, and they were gone. It was a frightening and memorable day. But is it an account of not just earth opening up, fire falling from heaven, but it is an account of rebellion, it's an account of judgment, it's an account of compassion, it's an account of meekness, it's an account of covetousness, it's an account of contentment, uh, and it's it's an account of remembering these things and thinking about them. So it's a it's a, there's a lot to cover here. But in all the details that we'll read here in these, and I want to read them tonight, I've decided to just go ahead and do it, is these 40 verses, is that let's not forget what we're trying to get at tonight. And I'm going to try to also, all right? The path that we're going on tonight is that we must learn to not be covetous of different positions in life, but to remain content. There's a fine line there. We'll talk about that. But remaining content and useful in the position that God has us at this very moment. Let's look here at verse number one. Now Korah, the son of Bizarre, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Pileth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses, with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face, and he spake unto Korah and unto all the company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show uh, who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. <laughs> it's kind of funny here. It's kind of a play on words. Moses takes the words of Korah and turns them back on them, doesn't he? In verse number uh, 7, Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. Uh, they're saying you take too much upon them. You're saying, Moses says, no, no, no. It's the other way around. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the Lord of God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto thee? And he hath brought thee near to him and all the brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and ye seek the priesthood also. For which cause both thou and all the, thy company are gathered together against the Lord? Well, what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? Moses was sent to call Dathan and Abiram and uh, sons of the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. So he tries to reason with them, and they just plainly say, no, we don't want to listen to you. 
And they, they respond and also say, Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast, brought, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey, or given, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Uh, the idea of putting the eyes out is not literally like the idea of like stabbing somebody in the eye. The idea is throwing dust in their eyes that uh, they can't see. It's it's a it's a mockery. Uh, is what he's what he's what they're accusing Je- uh, Moses of. And Moses was very wroth, and he said unto the Lord, Respect not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they, and Aaron tomorrow. And take every man his censer, and put incense in them, and bring thee before the Lord every man his censer, two hundred and fifty censers, thou also, and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer, and put fire in him, and laid incense thereon, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them, Unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth of all the congregation? The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle court, David and Abiram. Moses rose up and went to David and Abiah, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got them up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men, and here it is, die the common death of all men, or if they have visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, I don't know where Moses kind of got this. Where did Moses come up with this? Did he just like, on the fly, did God like reveal this to him? He's like, it's like, if the Lord does a new thing, I don't know, like opens the whole entire earth and these men go down into it because that's what he says. And the earth open her mouth and swallow them up and all that appertain unto them and they shall go down to the pit. Then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. I guess everybody said, yeah, that's probably a good idea. You know, God does that. Pretty much settles the back. And he came to pass as he made an end of speaking. As soon as he said the words that he just said, all of these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained to the core and all their goods, and they that all that pertained to them uh, went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation, and all the children that were, all the Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them. For they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offer incense. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eleazar, the priest, or the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter thou that fire yonder, for they are hallowed. The censers are these sinners, the censers of these sinners against their own souls. Let them make their 
broad plates for a covering of the offering, for they have offered them before the Lord, therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eliezer took the priest, or excuse me, Eliezer, Eliezer the priest took the brazen censers, wherewith they, they had burnt, had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar, to be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord, that they that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. If you've ever played chess before, you understand, or if you played a little bit, you understand uh, that the certain pieces on the board can only move in certain directions, right? Uh, a pawn cannot move like a queen, a, a, uh, a bishop cannot move as a knight, a rook cannot move as a king, or, or excuse me, yes, as a, they, don't, they don't work the same. A king can't move as a rook, I should probably say. Uh, they can't move in the same directions. They can't not do the same things. Uh, if I were playing with you and all of a sudden I tried to move my rook, which you can only move, I think, left to right and up and down, if you want to say it that way. Uh, if I tried to move him uh, like a bishop that moves, anybody know how he moves? How's it move? Diagonally, right? And I tried to move my rook diagonally, uh, what would you say? <laughs> you can't do that. You, you can't do that. That's not right. I uh, say, so, you know, it's you know, it's just a game. I can do it, kind of do however I want to do, right? I can kind of uh, play however. I, why can't I move the rook like the bishop? Because why? Because that's not its place. It's not its place to move that way. That's not how it works out. You can't do that. We can oftentimes understand that in a game, but do we understand that in life? Do we understand that in life? People are fanatics about rules and games. They understand that there are certain players on a field that cannot move in certain directions. They can't be at certain places at certain times. Uh, they can't, there can't be so many players that cross over the center line in hockey or before the puck gets there. You, get, you can't have certain things that if you do, you call all sides, out of bounds. Uh, there's a foul on the play because something has happened. We're fanatics. Uh, I say we, I say, say the world is fanatical about rules and games. I mean, just watch a, a football game and somebody, there's a foul on the field uh, and, and it's not called. I mean, the, the, what is the crowd doing? They're, they're, they're booing and they're throwing stuff out on the field. They're, they're mad about it. But when it comes to remaining or staying in the place that God has ordained for us, we somehow think that the rules don't matter anymore. Because there seems to be, ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, something within all of us that does not want to remain in his or her place. We kind of just want to step outside of the rules and regulations that have been set up for us in God's Word and even in this world oftentimes. Now thankfully we live in a very free country, amen? We're not slaves, amen? Praise God for that. We have a lot of freedoms in this country. Tons of freedoms. 
But I'm fearful that oftentimes as Americans that our freedoms sometimes contradict with what the Bible is trying to teach us oftentimes. And we take that freedom, uh, you might say, too far. But thankfully we're not slaves. Thankful that we have a great measure of liberty that's been given to us in this country. Uh, we've been given liberty uh, to remain single or to get married. Uh, we've been given uh, liberty uh, to uh, choose uh, where we want to work and uh, how we want to do things. We, we even have uh, a great liberty within this country uh, where if somebody wants to aspire to be a judge or to be a politician or even the president of the United States of America, they can work towards that goal. There are even a system set up so that people can find themselves in those places. It's an amazing country that we live in. We of all people in the world have some of the greatest liberties that have ever given been given to mankind that has ever been witnessed upon the face of the earth. And yet, many times, we still want a little bit more of the pie. And that's exactly what you see in the story here. Dathan, Abiram, and Korah, and the 250 princes of Israel, had been given a pretty good chunk of the pie. But they were still hungry. They still wanted more. They still were not satisfied. And what really fueled these men's passion to take over the position of Moses and Aaron was not just a rebellion or a dissatisfaction or their lack of trust in Moses' judgment. I think that is just simply a cover-up for what really is lying in the heart, and that is covetousness. Covetousness. These men had an insatiable thirst for more power. It's good for us to see in verses number one and two, this very, uh, or excuse me, I should just say verse number two, this very simple uh, point. Look at verse number two. It says, number one, that they were princes. I mean, that's a pretty, I'm not a prince, all right? But I mean, when somebody says they're a prince, they're pretty powerful, right? It's not somebody that's to be taken lightly. But not only were they princes, but he says they were also famous. So they were rich and famous, right? You know? I mean, I remember that old, old TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You know, have ever seen that before? Uh, but yeah, that was an old show. Everybody wanted to be the rich and famous, you know? And these men were rich. They were famous. They were, I love this Bible word, they were men of renown. I mean, they were well known in the community. I mean, they were, they were popular people. But the problem was, is not that they had power. The problem was that they wanted more power. And it's important for us, I think, to understand at the very beginning of this that the Bible outlines it for us in this description for this very reason, I believe, is so that we can all see that it doesn't matter how much power that you have. If there is covetousness and rebellion within your heart, there will never be enough power. Never be enough power. No matter if you're rich and famous, it doesn't matter if you're a prince of a nation. Sometimes we may think, well, if I just were this, or if I were born into this lifestyle, never think like that. That's false thinking, amen? That's false philosophy. You can never think like that, because that's, you, you can't, because it's, you're not in that lifestyle, all right? You're living in fairy tale land, 
Amen? Live, you are living as a Cinderella queen, okay? I mean, you're trying to think to yourself, if I was born like this, listen, my friend, you weren't born like that. So deal with it and live in the position where you are at at this very moment. If you were born a prince, then live as a prince. Do what you're called to do as a prince. But if you were born as a pauper, then do what you're supposed to do as a pauper, okay? It doesn't, we can't make that decision where we're born at in life. We don't get that uh, liberty. But the liberty that we do get is that we get this liberty as believers to be able to be as useful as we can in the position and in the place where God does have us. That is where these men missed it. Look at verse number three and let's see what these men wanted though. They gathered themselves together, as rebels oftentimes do. You know, you don't oftentimes have one rebel. You know? Rebels are real good about finding other rebels. You know? Have you ever noticed that? They're, they're real good about that. I mean, you, they're real good at finding other people that are like them. Because one thing about a rebel is he can't stand to be alone. He just can't. He can't stand it. That, that, that's the one thing that really hurts a rebel's feelings when nobody sides with them. That's when they really self-destruct. So, but a rebel, he's got to find somebody else. And Korah gets this covetous heart and he gets this rebellious spirit in himself. So who does he go to seek out when nobody but the Reubenites? And is that strange to you? Well, it should be. Because Reuben, remember their father had slept with one of the concubines of his father, and Jacob put a curse on him and basically put the firstborn down at the bottom of the totem pole. So this whole entire time, ever since Jacob, Reuben's tribe has been on the bottom of the totem pole. Isn't it interesting that Korah finds somebody else says, hey, stirs them up, gets them going. Nathan and Abiram and these other 250 princes, they've got a problem with Moses. What's also interesting to me is this, is that after, in Numbers chapter 14, if you can remember a little bit further back, what, what, what had just happened? Numbers 14 is the failure of them to enter into the promised land. They have, they've been kicked out of the promised land. They're not allowed to go in because of their disbelief. And so, God instructs Moses in chapter number 15, I didn't read it to you, we didn't preach about it, but uh, Moses begins to go over the law again. Okay? That's only natural. We're not going to the promised land, guys. We're going to have to stay in the wilderness 40 more years. So, here's what we need to do. So, he gives them the law. He gives them some laws about certain sacrifices and certain uh, transgressions and certain sins and things of that nature. And then the next day, guess what? The rebels show up. That's another thing about thing, another thing about rebels is, is that they don't like law, right? Except it's their law. Gotta be their law, how they want to do things. And they said, Moses starts giving them the law, starts talking to them, and they, ah, we're not having any of this. We just uh, got uh, kicked out of the promised land. We're not going back to this. We're going back to Egypt, you know, they might think. But these men uh, had rebellious spirits and rebellious hearts. In verse number 3 it says, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and said, You take too much upon yourselves. What these men did not see is that they did not see and they failed to see that God is the one that put Moses in charge. 
Does anybody remember Exodus chapter number 3? Who's the guy that saw the burning bush? It was Moses, right? Who was the guy that the Lord communicated with as a friend face to face? It was Moses. Who was the guy that uh, saw God so closely that his face shone like a lamp and they had to put a veil over it uh, whenever he came? It was Moses, all right? Who was the guy that held up a rod in there the Red Sea party? Who was that? Uh, that's Moses, right? Moses, all the answers are Moses. Moses is God's man. They failed to see that. They failed to see that it was God that chose Aaron in the position that he was placed in. They failed to recognize that it was God that selected Aaron out of all the families of the tribe of the tribe of Levi to be the family of the priests. They failed to understand that it wasn't Moses that made himself the ruler of God, ruler the ruler, uh, but it was God that had chosen Moses. Such failures to grasp who promotes and who demotes, who picks and who chooses, oftentimes will produce a covetous spirit. Listen to what uh, Jeremiah says, or I should say the Lord says to Jeremiah. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. You see, it's God. It's God. I think it was Napoleon, after his exile, and he was put down, uh, he wrote one of, I I think it's it's a great little couplet. He said, man proposes, God disposes. Man proposes, Man says, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But God is the one that, he's the one that dishes it out. God is the one that lifts up, builds up. God is the one that does all of these things. And when we fail to see that, when we fail to see that the reason why we have Joe Biden in the presidency is because God allowed that. The reason you have any government official that is there in Congress today is because God put them. God allowed that. God did that. All right? They wouldn't be there without God. Amen? They wouldn't. And if you and if you ever think that, they would be there without God. And, and, and that, that goes for any position, whatsoever it is. It matters whatever authority, authority, authority you're talking about, all right? Any authority. The reason you have parents, you know why? Who put them over you? God. God. Whatever it is, God has placed them over you. It is the Lord. Are are they always the most godly people? Are they always making the right choices? No. God didn't say they would. But God is the one that sets them up. God is the one that puts them there. God reminds us of that. David in his... David, whenever he is leaving Jerusalem, he is being cursed out by a Benjamite named Shimei. His son Absalom has taken over the kingdom. He has rebelled himself. And as Shimei is cursing him out and throwing rocks at him, uh, one of uh, David's soldiers, lead soldiers, 
think it's Benaniah, says, let me go out there and cut that guy's head off. You know? How dare him curse out the king? And David has an incredible response. David says, Behold my son which came forth, uh, behold my son which came forth out of my mouth, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. <laughs> Did you hear that? He said, The Lord hath put him there. The Lord's put him there. Don't you go up there and mess with him. God's allowing this. God's put him up there. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And God does. And before it's all over with, Shimei does have his head removed because he disobeys the order of the king, Solomon. But it wasn't David that was going to do it. You see, David, even in his great kingly authority, submits himself to the authority of God and even to this peasant Benjamite and allows for the cursing to exist because he says, I'm not going to let that man overtake me because I've got other greater matters to worry about. I need to worry about what's happening right now instead of some little peasant guy up here on the hill pulling his hair out and cursing at me. He was more concerned, he, got, he was concerned about his place and his position, what he needed to do at that very moment. And oftentimes we get distractions, we get somebody up on a hilltop pulling their hair out and throwing up dust and cursing at us, and we get all mad at that person, and we've got other bigger matters to worry about, like a kingdom, or a family, or a wife, or kids, or our, our, our company that might be uh, struggling with something. We've got other things that we've got to say, you know what, i got to focus and not worry about those things. Get in tune. I love Moses' calm reply. Moses isn't quite mad yet. We find that he does get mad, and he has good right to. But Moses is a man of meekness. And in verses 4 through 12, we find that Moses hears it. What does he do? Moses falls on his face. I love that about Moses. And then he begins to reason with them, and he essentially... And, I, and I'm not quite for sure how this all looked, but it's but the way the text reads is that Moses fell on his face, and then as he's on his face, or maybe on his knees, or on his belly, or whatever it is, he is talking to Korah. He's begging him to reconsider. Why is that? Because he knows the consequences of what will happen. He knows that judgment will come upon him. He knows the wrath and power of God are great and that God doesn't take lightly speaking against his man that he has ordained. In verse number 9, we see that he even tried to reason with them. He tells them, hey, don't you understand that you've already been given a good chunk of the pie? You're Levites. You're, you're, you've been settled in this thing. I mean, you're, you're ministers of the congregation of Israel, he's telling them. And are you going to seek after the priesthood also? 
We should see this as our reply to others that are rebellious and covetous and try to take over our positions. Because that might try to happen. You might have a son or a daughter that gets rebellious. You, you, might, uh, you might have a, 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 a co-worker or an employee that tries to be rebellious. You might have somebody in the family that tries to be rebellious. You might be the, you might be the executive uh, power of attorney, you know, and one of the one of your brothers or sisters is going to be rebellious again. Now, I'm not going to let that happen, you know. Hey, you ought to have a meek and humble reply to that. Almost begging them, hey, don't do this. Consider this thing. Think through what you're doing. Be humble about it. Be meek about it. That's not easy to do when you're an authority figure. Amen? When you're the authority to be humble, to be meek. But that's the way Moses always was. This is a great, this is a great account for us, isn't it? Because it, it, it examines all sides of this, of this thought that we ought not to be covetous and rebellious against the authorities that God has placed over us in our life, but rather we should remain meek and we should remain obedient and we should remain calm in difficult times and say, you know what, I'm going to do what I know that I should do and remain useful for the Lord's place that He's put me in. David and Abiram, you find them in verse number 13, they're even too, they, they don't even come down. I mean, they're, they're, they say, we don't, we're not even going to talk to you. They're done with Moses. I mean, they're, they're finished. They can't even come down and see God or see Moses or anything. They just, they, just, they just say, forget you, we're done. They're too proud to even come down. Man, that's really when you know you've, you've like kind of gone too far. You know what I mean? When people get rebellious, when they get covetous over positions, I mean, at least Moses, Korah uh, gave Moses a, a, an opportunity to talk to him. He didn't listen to him. But man, if you're at the place where you won't even talk to somebody or try to reason something out, you're, you're beyond help. But by the grace of God, amen? You are beyond help. If you don't want to reason, if you want to think through things, So what happens? Moses is angry. He reminds them that he hasn't taken anything from them. He hasn't fleeced them like a sheep. Nehemiah says the same thing in his in, in, in his in his letters. First Thessalonians chapter two verses five through nine. Paul tells us the same thing, and I believe this ought to be with true with every leader. He says, "For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness." Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished his children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are willing to have parted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you're dear unto us. For remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for labor in night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Paul is saying and reminding the Thessalonians, hey, I didn't charge any of you. I wasn't there for the money. I wasn't in it for the fame. I wasn't in it for the popularity, okay? But God placed me there. God put me there, all right? 
And I, I, I don't even like to say this, but I just want to say that as a, I, I get to be the pastor of this church, right? And if God wants to take me out of this position, he can't anymore, right? He can't. can remove me. I have to be remembering of that. I have to be fearful of that. But I have always, always, and, and I'm not saying anybody in here has done anything to miss me or anything or my family, but I've always tried to be careful of what I've said about other preachers and other pastors, especially those that are, especially those that are of the, uh, that are of the, of the faith. And I'm, I'm not speaking to people that are heretics, okay? But I mean, the people of the faith, be careful what you say. It doesn't bode very well to speak against a pastor or a preacher. It's not good for your family. It's not going to be good for your spouse. It's not going to be edifying conversation for your children, okay? It's just not going to be helpful to have a roast preacher for lunch, okay? It doesn't help. And it could bring judgment. I'm not saying it will. I'm not, that, I'm not special enough. Moses is a pretty special guy, all right? I mean, I've never seen a fire flame in a bush. I've never held my, a rod up and crossed over the Red Sea or anything, okay? I've never heard God talk to me as, you know, face to face. But I am a leader. We've got to remember that. We've got to be careful of what we say about leaders. We listen to Fox News and CNN and all the rest of it, and you got all these talking heads that are always putting down politicians all across the board. We've got to be, we've got to be careful with our words. I'm not saying we don't argue policy. Or we don't put down policy. We don't say that's wrong and that's wicked, what they're saying there. But what I am saying is that we just be careful with it. When Moses hears that Nathan and Abiram are too proud to come up, now he's mad. And he reminds them that he says, as I said, he hasn't taken anything from them. He's, been, he's been not been chargeable unto them. Paul has those words. And now he gives his instructions. And his instructions are found for us in verse number 18 through 21. Go there to number 16. Look what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying to them, When you come to the land, whether I... Whoa, that's chapter 15. Uh, I thought I was in chapter 17. Here we go. They took every man his censer and put fire in them, laid incense upon them, and Korah gathered all the congregation together. Verse 21. And then the Lord spake unto Moses and said to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among the children that I may consume them in a moment. Here's another great point. When you're finding people that are around you that are covetous, that are rebellious, that are not content with the position that they're in and they're trying to get you involved, you know what the answer to that is? Anybody want to take a guess? Verse 21, first word, separate. Separate. Don't, don't be around any of that. You don't want to get swallowed up in the earth, all right? But that doesn't bring about a practical point. I'm not I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but I'm not really joking because you're going to get swallowed up in some kind of rebellion. You're going to get, you're going to get swooshed up into something, and then five years later, you're going to regret that you ever did that. You're going to think, man, why did I ever get find myself in that thing? Why did I do that? I'm not happy where I'm at now. I was happier before. Now I'm not as happy because I got caught up in this stupid rebellion thing. I got caught up in this covetousness. I got caught up in these things and I should have been more uh, thoughtful in these things. Romans says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses 
contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Just avoid them. Avoid those people. Stay away from those people. Say, no, I'm all right. I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of that. Take your Bibles over to Jude chapter 1 and verse number 8. Jude 1 8. Look what he says. It says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the body with the devil with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. This is this is amazing to me. Michael the archangel is having a disagreement with the devil. If anybody tries to tell you there's no such thing as spiritual warfare, they've never read Jude one nine, right? I mean, the, the archangel and the devil are having a disagreement with each other, okay? What did that look like? Was there like lightning bolts flying? You know what I mean? What was happening you know, in, in the spiritual realm? I don't know what was going on. But look what it says. Michael durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. He, he wouldn't even bring a railing accusation against the devil. That's pretty intense. In verse 10 it says, But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. They're speaking evil of dignities and dominions and they just think they know what is best. They don't. He's talking about people that don't want to remain in their place. And guess who he's talking about? Does anybody know who he's talking about? He's talking about Korah. Look at verse number 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the prayer of Balaam for reward and have perished in the gainsaying of what? Korah. Korah. They were covetous. They didn't want to remain in their place. They were always saying, well, I mean, if I were the boss, this is what I would do. That's what they were always saying. If I was in charge, things would be different around here. They weren't just saying that to like their spouse. You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes you vent to your spouse or you vent to someone. But they weren't just venting. He's not talking about venting here. He's talking about literally, they're gathering up people that are also in the workplace and they're talking about their boss and they're trying to gather forces around themselves and trying to stir up something so that they can be the ones that look good on the end, on the outset of on the at the end of this thing. They're trying to stir it up because they're not content and they're not going to say, I'm going to be useful. I'm going to be the best fry cook that I can be. You know, I'm going to cook the best chicken tenders that I can cook. I, I, I'm going to do the best that I can do. I'm going to be the I'm going to be the best AC installer that I can be. I'm going to be the best that I can be at what God has put me in and where God has placed me at. Isn't that what Colossians teaches us? Whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord, right? We're not to be 
many people that are out there. I'm not, see, this is where, and I said this earlier, this is where that fine line is that we have to be careful with, that we don't say, well, what are you saying, that we never look for a promotion or that we never try to better ourselves? I'm not saying that at all. Amen? I mean, if, if you're really good at what you do and then you want to start your own business one day and make more money and try to have your own schedule because you don't want a boss telling you what to do all the time, hey, guess what? Praise God, we live in a free country, amen? Go do it. That's awesome. But in the meantime, don't just sit there and complain about everything because complainers never get anything done in the first place anyhow. That's the they don't. They don't. God gives the instructions. Separate. And so that's what they do. And again, in verse 22, you see Moses' compassion on full display. I love this. I mean, this story is like back and forth. It's like ripping your heart out. I mean, I mean they're, he's mad, but then God's like, okay, I'm going to kill everybody. And Moses is like, no, 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 don't kill everybody. You know, shall the whole entire nation die because of one man? He's talking about Korah because he's the one that initiated the rebellion. And he, and he says, okay, fine, I won't kill him, but I'm going to definitely kill these guys. I'm gonna, definitely going to get rid of Korah's family, Dathan's family, Abiram's family, and the 250 princes. Now, everybody leave from them, and God's judgment falls. And God will judge, mark it down, those that speak out the authorities in their lives, God will somehow take them down. There's a great principle for us in Proverbs 30, verse number 17. The eye that mocketh is at his father and despises to obey his mother. The ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. All right? No, it doesn't mean that vultures are going to puff your eyes out. It doesn't necessarily mean what Proverbs 30 verse 17 means. But what it does mean is setting forth about a great principle for us that God does not overlook whenever people go against the authorities that he has set up in your life. God doesn't just kind of glance over that. Because why? Because he's the one that put them there. And then when we go against them, what are we saying? We're going against God. Now, of course, don't get me wrong. When the authorities go against God, who do we obey? We obey God. We all know that. If immediately we're given a decree by the administration tonight that, you know what, no longer can the gospel be preached, you know what we would say? We would say it's better for us to obey God rather than man. Amen? That's what we would do. But you know what? We wouldn't stop paying the electrical bill. Amen? Does that make sense? Because the electrical company is the authority for us for the electricity that we're using. And so we're going to pay them for it. I, I, we, we get so convoluted on these things sometimes. But God is the one that sets these people up. God is the one that established them. And when we learn to be useful and helpful in the positions that we're in in life, then God can bless in those places. If you're a wife, then be a great wife. Be the best wife because you can't be a husband. Husband, you be the husband that God has called you to be because you can't be a wife. Children, you be the best child that you can be. And, 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 and workers, you be the best worker that you can be. You can be all of these kinds of things. Serve in the position that you're called in. I think there's something to be said about that. I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 17, uh, Paul brings this very same argument, I guess you might call it, that I'm bringing up tonight here in this 
particular passage because there was a problem in the Corinthian church that people were not content in the place that God had placed them at. And they were always constantly trying to do something about it. And Paul reminds them of this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 17 where he tells them this. He says, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether the, or excuse me, but as God hath distributed Let's start that over again. You weren't all there. But as God hath distributed, who's doing the who's doing the distribution here? God. To every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. What has God called you to? Is any man among you, is any man called being circumcised? The idea of being a Jew. What does he tell them? What's his advice? Let him not become uncircumcised. Well, I don't think that would be possible physically. That's not what he's saying. He was saying, don't deny your Jewish heritage just because now you're saved. You don't do that. You don't say, well, I know no, I'm not going to be a Jew anymore. You know? No, you're still a Jew. If you come to Christ in, the, in uncircumcision, then don't deny. You're not supposed to deny your Gentile heritage. You're not supposed to deny that's who you are because that's who you are. That's the place where God saved you. And in the place that God saved you, guess what? God can use you. Amen? God used Gentiles to work with Gentiles. God can use a Jew to work with a Jew. And God can use a woman to work with a woman in a way that a man cannot work with a woman. And a man, God can use a man to work with a man in a way that a woman can't work with a man. Does that make sense? Be faithful where God has placed you. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commands of God. Let every man abide in the same calling where it is a call. Art thou called being a servant? What is the word servant there? Slave. Did you get saved when you were a slave? What does he say? This is now this is this is this this ain't uh this ain't Gen X, okay? This ain't this ain't woke theology here, okay? What does he say? Care for not. But if thou mayest be free, use it rather. He said, you got, you got saved when you were a slave. He said, don't care for it. You're not, you're not, you're not supposed to spin your wheels trying to get out of slavery all the time. But if you get a chance to get out of slavery, then go ahead and get out of slavery. Okay? Go ahead and do that. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of who? Man, that's the key to all the whole entire thing. All the problems that we have with covetousness and rebelliousness against leadership and covetousness for more power, or if I was this, or if I was that, or if, if, if I was in this position, then all of that is solved if we would just understand what he's saying in verse 23. You're bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men. Brethren, let every man where he is called there and abide with God. With God. See, whatever you're at in life, whatever position you're at, a pauper or a prince, a woman or a man, a slave or a free man, 
a child or a parent, an employee or an employer. It, it, it really doesn't matter. We're not serving men. First and foremost, we're serving God. That was what Moses' whole entire argument was to Nathan and Byron and Korah. Was guys, 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 wait, 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 wait. We're, we're not in this for donkeys and camels, Moses was saying. We're not in this for donkeys and camels, okay? We're in this for the Lord. And, and we're imploring you to be in it for God. I'm not talking to politicians tonight. I'm not talking to a bunch of unsaved group of congressmen. Hopefully I'm talking to a group of Christians here this evening. Because that's who 1 Corinthians is written to. And I'm telling you, listen, we, we aren't in it for donkeys and camels and houses and lands. Okay? We're in, it, we're in this thing for God. So Brother Florence preached on this morning. You know, we're not in this thing for our own glory. We're living this life for His glory. Because He's worthy. He is worthy. Let's not question God. Let us all be humble to recognize God's supreme power. say this and I'll close never had seen this part of the story but at the end of the story the men are swallowed up the censors fall down on the ground and God does something very unusual as if he hasn't done anything unusual already and he says take those censors he says I want you to take them down to the blacksmith shop Maybe Baziel and Ahoyad. I want you guys to pound those things out on the anvil into plates. Brazen plates. And I want you to take those 250 brazen plates and I want you to mount those on the altar all the way around. Hammer those on. Fix those on there. So that every single time when people come to sacrifice, they'll remember that it's God that established Moses and Aaron. You know what our brazen altar is? It's Jesus Christ. So that every time we open this book, every time we come to church, and every time we think about the Lord, every time we sin, and every time that we rebel, and every time there is a flitter of covetousness within our heart, that we can look to Jesus, who is the supreme power of all heaven and earth, and he took, who took upon himself our rebellion and our sin and nailed it to himself. And we look at him, and we're humbled by it. We realize that if the most powerful person in all the world humbled himself, 
and remained in the place and the position that he was in, then how much more should I remain in the place and position that I am? Am I any greater than my Lord? Are you any greater than God? I think not, my friend. None of us are. Let us be people that are more concerned about how I can serve God where I am right now than being rebellious and covetous and worrisome about how could I do that position better than me? Covetousness steals away our usefulness for God. Turns us into a slave to envy. Let us not be slaves to envy. But us be slaves to Christ. Slaves to Christ. For you are bought with a price. You've been bought with a price, my friend. And that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. The most precious blood. The most precious and most valuable element that has ever existed upon the face of the world. The blood of Jesus You've been bought with a price. Now serve God in your body where you're at right now. Don't worry about where you'll be at 10 years from now. Don't worry about where you'll be a year from now. Don't worry about what's going to happen five years down the road if I get this promotion, if I this or this or whatever may happen. No, 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 no. Serve where you're called right now. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God. Thank you for us, what you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to be motivated, to not be covetous, but to be thankful, to be appreciative, and to be serving in the place where you have us at this very moment. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.